You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Ben Smith, and from a secret location somewhere in the southwest of England, it's Matthew Syed. Today we'll be focusing on the stunning Barcelona win, the somewhat improving England, and of course, that wonderful mess we like to call FIFA. Well, why don't we start at the home of football, shall we? Uh, Wembley. Barcelona, emphatic victory, I think we can say, Paddy. Oh, yes. Uh, the most beautiful victory I've seen. This is, it was the 25th uh, European final that I've, European Champions Cup or League final that I've seen. And by far the most beautiful, by far the most satisfying, uh, by far the most sporting. Um, just in every way uh, lit up the whole world, really, as far as I'm concerned as a football enthusiast. Paddy, I'm just curious, because you, you were saying before it was the your, your second happiest day in football. Can oh, I just yeah. ask the, 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 the happiest? Well, it was it's close. I, I, um, uh, when Dundee won the championship in uh, <laughs> April 1962, that takes a lot of beating, but uh, n- nothing since then. Uh, has given me remotely as much pleasure as Saturday night. I just thought it was, it was a vindication of all I believe in in football, and uh, you know, <laughs> I just almost feel that my football soul can die now. My football soul can drift away. Every it's happened. Matthew, are you as are you as happy as Paddy is today? Are, are you as uh, uh, present on the Barcelona bandwagon? I I couldn't agree more than Paddy, beautifully expressed, eloquently done. I was moved almost, and I am more than happy to admit this, to tears by what I saw. I've I've watched Barcelona consistently in La Liga and elsewhere over recent seasons, and they have played the most sublime football. Uh, This took it to extraordinary levels. It was the comprehension of time and space of all of the players, really, with the possible exception of Mascherano, uh, but particularly Iniesta, Xavi uh, and Messi was almost beyond description. It, It was remarkable, truly remarkable to see a team as accomplished as Manchester United, unable to get there, to get the ball, to get possession. They were outclassed, outmaneuvered, outthought. And I agree with Paddy too that it was played in the right spirit and perhaps the greatest tribute to this team was when uh, Puyol deferred to Abidal when the trophy was lifted. I, I thought that summarised not just the philosophy of the club, but capped a, 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 an astonishing evening. And, and Paddy said it was one of the great football matches. For me, it, it's, this Barcelona team has taken sport to, to new levels. Mm. 
All right, Ben, can you top this hyperbole or do you want to play devil's advocate and talk about, hey, hey, guys, you know what? You, you, some of you are the same people who were skewering and crucifying them for all the cheating, uh, supposed cheating in the semifinal against Real Madrid. I'm sure, I'm sure Jose Mourinho doesn't feel that way, does he, Ben? Or will you join in the celebration? Well, I think, I think horses for courses, I think you have to play what's in front of you. And I, th- I think had that semifinal not been against Mourinho's Milan, uh, Madrid, pardon me, we wouldn't have seen Barcelona resorting to, to those kind of tactics. I think just to get away from that, I, I'm afraid I'm going to join on, on this bandwagon. It was uh, it was wonderful to watch, to see a side do that on the big occasion, to, to pull it all together, to, to be you know just so tight-knit as a team, to keep the ball the way they did, and their work rate off the ball as well. When they lose the ball is the, is the, the thing that people forget with Barcelona. It's just fantastic to see players like Messi, Xavi, running, chasing, doing all the hard work, and, and then when they get the ball, they're, they're just... Um, Irresistible. And well, may I just add, well said, Ben. It was Real Madrid who were the cheats in the Bernabeu, not Barcelona. Right, I'm going to send Mourinho around to your house if you don't behave, Paddy. But hey, since I'm going to have to then clearly uh, put on uh, the devil's advocate um, straitjacket here, and I think it needs to be a straitjacket given what I'm about to say. Um, as wonderful and as sublime as Barcelona were, um, could there not be an argument, Paddy, that uh, they certainly fluffed at least four or five chances that I can recall um, in the game where, where they could have put the ball away and probably should have put the ball away. Um, and also, Edwin van der Sar, I know we all celebrate him, and but I think we have to say this. I think he'd want us to because he wants us to treat him as a professional and, you know, um, certainly at fault on, on the first goal and, um, and on the messy goal as well. You put all those things together, maybe a better night from van der Sar, those missed chances, and it's still 1-1, or am I just talking rubbish and purposely trying to play devil's advocate here? Um, a bit of both, Gav, I think. I think, uh, uh, yes, you, you could certainly say that their victory should have been more emphatic. Um, it wasn't until after Villiers had scored that you realised that, that the day was on the side of the Angels, but uh, not that Manchester United are devils. But I think, yes, I mean, you could... You could um, I don't think either of Van der Sar's things could be classed as blunders because, I mean, there was an element of of um, immobilization. I mean, uh, Pedro's goal was just, I mean, an incredible piece of skill. Uh, the uh, Messi shot was hit so early, but you, you, yes, there was an element of culpability. I think also in Messi's goal, uh, the main guy at fault was Vidic, who seemed more... Um, uh, interested in uh, protecting his uh, testicles than uh, than closing down uh, the sh- uh, the shot, uh, which was unforgivable unprofessionalism, I must say. Um, but uh, yes, you could also, to a lesser extent, fault Van der Sar. Uh, Syed, I, I want to ask you about a guy you mentioned briefly before. Um, and that's that's Javier Mascherano because, you know, we came, we we talked about how great Barcelona have been this season, and, and obviously when when they have Puyol and and Pique at center half, it's an accomplished situation. It's it's an accomplished combination. Um, but the fact of the matter is that here you have a guy who is five feet eight inches tall, who's a central midfielder, and so. You know the nature of his game is such that his uh, athletically he's all about stamina rather than quickness. Who who's not a good uh, not a good header of the ball at all. Who who's tackling obviously the tackling in midfield is different than you do at the back. 
And even against a guy like that, Manchester United can only manage one shot on goal. Um, is this to say more about United's deficiencies, or is there, or do we maybe exaggerate the specialization in in football? And ultimately, a guy like Mascherano, if he's intelligent, even though he's five foot eight inches, can play centre half. Well, I mean, two, two bits to that. I mean, I think that uh, Manchester United were not deficient. They were only deficient in one very specific sense, that they are the best team in the country, uh, one of the best teams in the world, but they were inadequate because they were up against the greatest team that's ever played football. On Mascherano, I, I thought he was the weak link, really, in Barcelona. Uh, the, the I know he was playing out of position, but the remarkable thing about Barcelona, the, the stunning thing, is the way that they anticipate each other's movement so that whenever they are passing the ball, it is moving into a position of space where, an, where a teammate is, is about to arrive at. And it, it made the Manchester United attempt to close them down almost a comical dance into nowhere because whenever the Manchester United moved close, the ball was already moving off. And Mascarano, I think, because he arrived at the club relatively late, uh, you know, after most of the others had grown up together at the Messiah. He, he's just unaware of where they are, and therefore when he got the ball, other than one dart upfield where he actually made it into the perimeter of the Manchester United penalty area, by and large, he was playing high ball. He was actually hoofing it up the pitch. He was very rarely doing the very short passing, uh, certainly not as successfully as the Barcelona team. So I think that says a lot about how this Barcelona team has grown up together, and therefore they comprehend each other's intentions in a way that we've never seen in, in other teams before. Absolutely. May I also say at this point that if Barcelona had been worried about Mascarano, um, they would simply have swapped him with Busquets. Yeah, but um, hey, Paddy, sorry, sorry if I jump in there, but remember because uh, Pepe uh, addressed his very point a while back you know the the plan B of course was Busquets and it seemed more logical because of his size but what they found when they put Mastrano in midfield yeah. the passing just completely breaks down that's what I was like. just going to say but if they'd been worried about about the back they could they could quite easily have addressed that they they reckoned that I mean it's quite interesting the team sheet I was given had Mascarano in midfield and Busquets at the back um, I didn't think they'd line up that way and they didn't but they they um the performance of Busquets was fantastic. Yes, um, I mean he's he's the one. He is the one cheat in that team. I I, I agree. Possibly Alves, you could argue, but uh, Busquets is an absolute shocker for a boy of his age. But what a player! Um, I think Piquet and Busquets emerged as as on the verge of greatness uh, on Saturday. And, and, and the way, I mean, for, for Busquets to be the, the defensive midfield player, the Keane or the Makaleli, uh, but to play like he does, I mean, I've never seen front sweeping like it. it uh, he, 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 he was just majestic. And even though Rooney, playing in his space, was, was by far Manchester United's best player, he still emerged triumphant. Just to go back to that, just to go back to that Mascherano um, uh, talk, I mean, in the first 10 minutes, I think it was only the, the real time that Manchester United tested him. That's when they were hoofing it. Yeah, well, basically, yeah. He got caught under the ball twice and, and Rooney almost got through on one occasion. There was a mix-up with a goalkeeper where Valdez had to clear it. You know, uh, unfortunately, Manchester United didn't see the ball for, for the rest of the half, but on those two occasions, there, there was basically uh, the long ball caught Mascherano out. They weren't able to, to, to do that again, but, you know, there is there are ways. I think as soon as the ball gets into midfield, if you let Barcelona get it into the feet of Busquets from the back, 
if you allow the goalkeeper to roll it to the midfield, then you don't see the ball again. I think yep. the only way to, to put them under pressure, perhaps, is to, to try and stop that easy pass at the, at the very start that, of the move, get into them there, make them go long, and, and then maybe you have a chance. But Man uh, United started very yeah, well in that yeah. sense, didn't they? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't just say that. I just, I just so agree with what uh, Paddy said about Busquets and uh, PK. I know this eulogy is becoming uh, probably a little, a little uh, seemingly eternal, but, but the, the only place I'd disagree is I, I think they've arrived at greatness. I mean, PK was just astonishingly dominant at the back, and Busquets was, was brilliant, absolutely superb with his passing and his comprehension of where he needed to be at pretty much every pivotal moment in that match. But given that they've now won the World Cup and they've won the Champions League uh, twice, you know, I, I just feel that they probably deserve that epithet of, of greatness now. Syed, um, we probably saw, well, we I think almost definitely saw the, the last of, of Edwin van der Sar. Um, we may have seen the last of Paul Scholes in a United shirt. Um, you know, we often talk about sort of when when great players walk away from the game. Do you walk away your your peak? When do you know uh, what the appropriate time is to walk away? Um, the one piece of wisdom I got from uh, from Carlo Ancelotti was that you know the key thing is try to make sure that when you do walk away, you you do it because you choose to walk away and not because your body or others choose it for you. Um, are they leaving at the right time? Yeah, it's always difficult, isn't it, for a sportsman to walk away from the thing that he loves. And we often see in sports beyond football, uh, athletes wanting to come back when they clearly pass their best. But they probably got the timing right. I think Edwin van der Sar, um, just a smidgen worse than Schmeichel, which is a tremendous accolade because Schmeichel was, was, was fantastic and, and a tremendous servant of Manchester United. Um, and Skulls, it's interesting that... Um, <laughs> And Chavi was interviewed about the players that he most admired. It was a tremendous newspaper interview not so long ago. He said he, he apparently almost jumped off his seat to say, "Well, Paul Scholes, uh, we think that he was somebody who would have fitted in magnificently to the Barcelona team." And actually, when Guardiola was interviewed before the um, before the final, they said, "If you were to pick, have one Manchester United player in your team, who would it be?" And again, unhesitatingly, he said, "Scholes." So I think that is a tribute to just what a great player Scholes has been. Paddy, I'll give you the last word on Scholes since uh, since this was brought up. Uh, you've always been a big fan of his tackling. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I always think Scholes has been uh, overpraised, really, in England. Um, I, I, I don't think uh, that he's uh, remotely comparable with Xavi or even Iniesta. Uh, hasn't got the mobility of Iniesta. Hasn't got the brain of. He has now the brain of Xavi, but for most of his career, he didn't. Um, I mean, I can remember when he retired from international football. I mean, England didn't collapse as if polaxed, um, simply because he'd never been thought of as that important a player. Um, in, in the latter years of his career, it became uh, not just fashionable to praise him, but impossible to criticise him. Uh, he was a very, 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 very good player, but not a great one. From the sublime to England, uh, there used to be a time when we talked about how excited the media were for, for England and the new course and Fabio Capello. Now it seems that they're just counting down the time um, till after Euro 2012 when he can leave and uh, 
uh, I think they used to say an Englishman will take over. Then most recently, it's uh, a person with a British attitude who speaks good English because, of course, they're, they're realizing that the pool of candidates has narrowed to one and his name is Harry Redknapp. Um, but I, I, I want to check something out. I mean, this, this England side, they topped the group. They're playing Switzerland. Um, nine goals scored in, in four outings, one goal allowed. Um, this qualifying group is not that bad. Uh, Bulgaria, Montenegro, Wales, okay, by the last one. Um, Patty, what, why is everybody so down and so un, un, unenthusiastic? Is it well, because all the star players are t- turning their backs on their countries? Yeah, well, I think there's, there's an element of that. And I think also it's a hangover from the <coughs> profoundly disappointing uh, performances in the World Cup. Uh, I think people, um, I mean, Capello's in a way, I mean, I, I don't know if he still cares about what the English think of him, but it, he'll be judged in a two-and-a-half-week period in um, in uh, next summer in, in Poland and Ukraine um, because everybody sort of takes it for granted because of the way European football is configured now that England will qualify and rightly so which obviously they will um, they've done it competently as they did last time under Capello I mean the, the qualifying uh, series uh, last time under for the World Cup you know with Croatia being beaten 9-2 on aggregate I mean was was couldn't could hardly have been bettered Croatia at their peak may I say um, or, or just past it so I mean yes qualifying is not a problem and I think the reason that we're a bit downbeat about England now is, is we're saying well we've seen all this before it's in the finals that we want to play well not in qualifying yeah. Paddy, isn't this a, a, a kind of wider thing with international fo- it, football? Isn't there a growing apathy towards international football outside of uh, outside of the World Cup? Isn't yeah. there a, you know, you look at the players who are retiring early and the players who aren't. Uh, Go back to Paul Scholes. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, I just I just get the feeling yeah, you know that, what? you know, who, you see games you know like you this should, at Wembley. Sorry, sorry if I jump yeah, in, yeah, ben, sure. but you're talking about the players who are retiring early, okay? I know. They, you uh, tell me tell me a worthwhile player sure. no, 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 who's but, not an absolute no, you know no, no, but I don't think Who that's what I'm saying. What I mean, I'm saying Alan Shearer did it, that was, but I think we gave him a pass because of his situation. Sure, but there was but a these time other people, people who cares. No, 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 I agree with that, but... Paul Robinson, people, I'm sorry, no, no, no. go back to your pig pen. But, but Gab, this is not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's key to England, but I'm saying people don't care about international football. It's not their priority anymore. It's not, I don't believe it's the spectator's priority. I don't believe it's the player's priority. When you see the things you see on Saturday night, that, that's the, that is the top of the game now. That's but, where the priorities are for players, I believe. The top of the club game is now... More, more, um, you know, players want to play that kind of football more than they do international football outside of World Cups. Syed, so 75,000 people on average um, pack Wembley to, to watch England play, um, which I find absolutely extraordinary. Uh, if that's the case, then how, how does that statistic stack up with what? The anti English, notoriously anti English Ben Smith uh, has just been saying anti international football, actually. Yeah, I think Ben, I would say Ben is, is wrong on this. I think that the significance, cultural and sporting, of the World Cup has risen and continued to rise in recent years. All that's happened is that. In, is that the Champions League has risen in prestige rather more quickly, so the gap is closing between the two. But I did the real say, story I, I, saw, here, I did qualify what I said by outside of World Cups. I believe there's apathy towards international football. That's I'll just oh, add I that in. I, but the, 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 I mean, the World Cup and the European Championships, of course, the apex of the international uh, agenda and timetable. They, in not just sporting terms, but in cultural terms, are of almost infinite significance. If you just look at the way that 
the nation responded here, but also the various nations around the world for which football is a national sport, which is most uh, nations. It is a hugely unifying uh, national shared collective experience uh, it dominates the news i mean back in 66 when we won the world cup it was a relatively it was a big national occasion but a relatively small media story today you know the, the group matches dominate the agenda and it is the main aspect of the national conversation i mean to, to say that uh, no, I utterly, I, international i, I mean, utterly agree with you on that Matthew. no 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 i'm saying outside of world cup i'm saying a world cup is a different kettle of fish completely i, I couldn't agree more with you of course it's the biggest story going of course everyone puts flags in their cars and goes crazy i'm saying outside of that i don't think people care i don't think people care that england are playing switzerland i I don't think uh, do you only in the sense that they need to be they need to qualify in order to get to these big grand international occasions uh, like the european championships and the world cup so and and of course you just need to see the fact that that wembley is pretty much always packed out and so on do you think the players Um, care about playing switzerland at this time of the season in an international i still think that players recognize the underlying truth that the for them to take their place in the if you like the iconography of a nation um the world cup is still the single most persuasive way to do that you know bobby moore bobby charlton uh the the way that they form part of our identity uh, that is something i think players understand and uh and crave because of course when you're playing for a club you're playing for a relatively narrow caucus you're you're, you're playing for that particular fan base when you play for your country you you are as it were the representative i mean it's an odd phenomenon this but you there is a sense in which you're a representative of your of the entire people and and i do think the players recognize its significance I, i'd go even further than uh, the, the matthew and, and perhaps suggest that especially in england where you know i think we all know this you haven't really won anything um of sort of note in a very long time that you know there's still an iconography around you know the 96 team with terry venables which correct me if i'm wrong only you know didn't actually win a game after the group stages um and this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, you know, so it's it's kind of, you know, I think this does matter to a lot of people. Also because the other interesting phenomenon is I'm looking at the pe- these people who've been called up for England and, okay, apart from the, from the defenders, uh, you know, and it's Ferdinand and Terry and Ashley Cole, most of these other guys really haven't won much or don't really play for particularly interesting teams. So, you know, it's if I'm Scott Parker or or if I'm, you know, James Milner or Bobby Zamora, I can't really get uppity about England, can I? Because, you know, hey, Bobby Z, you play for Fulham. You know, nobody cares what you do week in, week out. You know, Scott Parker, you got relegated, even though you somehow won the Football football Writers Award. I mean, hey, Patty, you've been around international. Do you get the sense that we from the media, we once the players are there, they actually, they actually, actually mean something to them and they actually do want to win? Well, it is late in the season, but uh, I think I think that uh, players such as Scott Parker, um, uh, you know, it, it will. I saw him play in Wales in the last match, and I don't think there was any doubting his commitment or the fact that he saw this final phase of his career uh, now that he's free of injury and playing the best football of his life um, as a way of. Of, uh, of of really making his mark, and 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 it was you know you didn't need to ask him how much playing for England meant to him. I mean Lampard turns up, doesn't he? Time after time, he'll be there. Terry Ferdinand, Cole, Johnson, the the entire back five will be there, uh, injury permitting. Uh, no, I think it, it it should be a strong side. Yeah, Rooney of course is suspended, but. Uh, I think it will. It does mean a lot to them. But saying that, that you, you know, you, one does become mentally jaded after a ten and a half, eleven month season. And I suppose a summer without a tournament uh, will do these guys a lot of good. Yeah. Of course, all this could have been fixed by adopting the Marcotti and early Platini plan of uh, condensing all international football in uh, in six weeks to two months. But hey, it's a great idea. That's a whole other issue. Yes. All right, let's move further down the food chain. We've had the Sublime Champions League final. We've had England, da-da-da. Who wants to talk a little bit of FIFA? Um, this podcast may well be outdated, given that um, as we're recording this uh, today at 5 o'clock, um, Seth Blatter is going to uh, give a press conference and tell them and address the media. I presume he's going to answer back to uh, Jack Warner's accusations. Um, all right. I mean, I, I need to do a little recap for those who aren't as keen on on, on, on the sinews of, of FIFA as uh, as Sia is. Um, basically, there's an election coming up. Uh, it was it's scheduled for June 1st. As it stands now, the election will go ahead. There were two candidates. One of them is Seth Blatter, who has been uh, FIFA president for since 1998, and before that was uh, general secretary of the organization. The other one was a man named Mohammed bin Hammam from uh, from Qatar, who uh, is a very rich man involved with the Asian Football Confederation. Um, Qatar 
rumors that, well, let's just put it this way, they were very people were very surprised when Qatar won the World Cup. Uh, since then, Qatar and a man named Jack Warner, who uh, uh, is not a movie, a movie uh, is not a film mogul, but uh, is a man from Trinidad uh, who heads CONCACAF, which is the North and Central American Confederation. Um, he has been accused of, of facilitating bribes to uh, a number of CONCACAF member nations together with uh, Mohammed bin Hammam. Um, the pair of them were called before an ethics committee on Sunday, um, which ultimately uh, suspended them from FIFA activities. In the interim, of course, they also accused uh, Sepp Blatter of knowing about these bribes that they were going to pay. But the ethics committee on Sunday, which is headed from a, by a very nice man from uh, uh, Namibia who keeps saying uh, Mr. Jack Warner instead of just Mr. Warner, um, found uh, not much basis to the allegations. And uh, since then, both Jack Warner and Mohammed bin Hammam have been extremely critical uh, of FIFA and Sepp Blatter bin Hammam alleging that he's basically been set up as a fall guy to get him out of the way for the elections. And Jack Warner, in an incredible, I think it's fair to say, um, statement on his Facebook page, or it's not even his Facebook page, it's the Trinidad and Tobago Soka Warriors Facebook page, it really is worth reading, makes uh, an incredible string of, uh, of allegations. Some of them may be libelous, so please go on uh, his Facebook page and check them out. But we will be talking uh, very carefully about some of them. Patty, is that a fair summation of the um, of, of the circles of hell that we've descended into? Mm, very fair, very succinct. Um, it's quite difficult to to um, sort out the villains of the piece, isn't it? Um, um, since they all seem to be, um, they're all in a position to know, and uh, it's it's the first time ever that. Uh, that we've had such a such a, an outbreak of transparency, um, but of course it won't make any difference because, um, and I'm very surprised that nobody's talked about this: um, the failure of our own football association to put up a candidate in this election. If um, they had done, as I suggested they should, both in private conversations and articles in the Times, then we would now be having a totally, utterly discredited uh, Sepp Blatter against a squeaky clean candidate supported by the English FA. They didn't need to provide one. I shouldn't think there's anyone good enough in the FA, but they could have backed um, any one of the people who were putting themselves they forward. Could have backed Grant Wall, who would have made a better uh, FIFA president. I, I, personally, I would have preferred um, Elias Figueroa. Um, or Elias Figueroa, actually. The very distinguished uh, Chilean former central defender. But, um, uh, sorry, but Ben is shaking well, his head I, furiously here. I think he wants to stick up for the FA. No, 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 I don't. I'm, yeah. I, I don't, certainly don't want to stick up for the FA. What I do want to say is I think Blatter had this in the bag from the start I don't think unfortunately I think the whole system everyone who votes on this I, I just I think Blatter is too powerful I think he would have won this whoever ran against him Paddy I'm, no no I'm not saying for a minute Ben that that, uh, that the English FA or, or any dissident FA who got nominated an alternative candidate would have won sure but what this would have done is, is flushed out opposition and we would then sure. have had of course all the small um, uh, 
football associations in the not only in the Caribbean but all over the world who rely upon Blatter's largesse would have continued to vote for him. Of course they would. But the others who don't, like the English FA, who don't have to rely on that, would be able to form a, a, a block that would be small in number but very, very large in power and equally capable of supplying the patronage so that the next election in four years' time won't simply be an anointing. See, at the moment, because the English FA didn't stand in this, there's absolutely no way that anything will change in the long term. No, you're dead right. I I think, yeah, I mean, you could also throw in the fact that, of course, uh, the fact that the minute England didn't get the FA, uh, the the nomination, what happened? Somebody, and I won't say who, but, uh, you know, it's it's a little northern, small northern man who specializes in uh, wreaking financial havoc on football clubs he claims to support. Um, You know, Chuck David Dean, you know, out the door immediately um, because David Dean is supposedly a threat, you know, because obviously having brains in that uh, organization makes you makes you a threat. Um, but uh, Syed, I, I wanted to get your view on this. Um, obviously, as a former Olympian, people, you know, you, you, you may have a view on this because people have drawn parallels to the IOC moment uh, a few years ago. And Warner's letter, um, and I will reveal a little something of what's in it. At one point, he says, he talks about, he accuses Sepp Platter of making a similar payment to uh, uh, to delegates, but not with his own money, but with FIFA money, and Michel Platini becoming very, very angry and agitated about this and telling Blatter he can't do it, and Jerome Valk, who, for those who don't know, is the general secretary of FIFA and... I think sort of a stereotypically French evil bureaucrat type with glasses. Um, he tells Platini to shut it and that they'll find the money in the budget for it. Um, the fact that Michel Platini, who I believe is the only head of a confederation who has been around for a little while and has not been implicated in anything, um, the, fa- there's the fact that he has to now, I think he's got to come forward, he's got to say something, whether this is true or not. Could this be a mobilizing moment where, where maybe people can can rally behind those elements that are clean uh, and, and just undisputably clean and advise everybody who's been smeared even a little bit to just step aside for a while until they can establish their innocence? Yes, it could, it could be a, a watershed moment and a catalyst for change, although I thought that that was something that could have happened during the bidding process of 2018 and 2022, which was so disreputable and surrounded by so many allegations, Panorama, Sunday Times and other media organs that I think come out of this very well for the scrutiny that they've applied. But again, it might not be. It's possible that, that it won't happen. I think the reason why there's a good chance that, that, that this will be a catalyst is that in the past, the allegations have come from outside FIFA and the hierarchy of closed ranks. Now the knives are out at the top of FIFA. Uh, Warner, the allegations are explosive. If they can be corroborated, they could be pretty devastating. And uh, Blatter, as you say, press conference uh, to respond to those allegations. But it, it is all becoming the fissures at the top of FIFA are opening up and I think there is a real chance now that the edifice of corruption that many of us have suspected for a long time will, will hold okay. into view. Okay, we, we talk about corruption here and again, I, I guess I'll, I'll put on my Rao politic uh, contrarian hat here for, for, for just one second. Leaving aside certain people who 
right, have already been found guilty. I mean, Jerome Valk was not an issue. He's the general secretary of FIFA. You can ask questions of Blatter and bring him back. But this is a man who, in, in 2004, of course, was involved in a horrible court case involving MasterCard and Visa. And as a result, the court ordered FIFA to, um, to, to pay a $60 million fine. Uh, and also the court found that uh, Chuck Blazer, who is the main accuser of Jack Warner, was completely not a credible witness and, uh, and evasive. This is all in the court documents. Um, so these are some of the characters involved. But Blatter himself, I don't think there's anybody who believes that he personally profits from, from any of this. And the way it's been sort of outlined to me is FIFA brings a lot of money into the game. And they simply, and the way it works is, is, is patronage, which basically means is they will make development, they, they will steer some of their development money, some of their enormous budget that they get um, from, from selling from the sale of World Cup rights to different parts of the world. And that, yeah, of course, maybe they look at who does favors for them or not. But you know what? That's kind of the way politics works in general. I mean, if, uh, if, if your local MP is powerful and important, most likely he will be more effective for his constituents than some of those MPs that nobody's ever heard of. Um, Syed, you, you stood for Parliament. Is this that different? Well, I'm just trying to unravel the different bits of the question. I mean, Blatter does benefit hugely How? Uh, from FIFA. Well, it's pretty obvious. He enjoys very much being the head of a global organization, which enables him to hobnob with powerful men and women. And he gets a huge amount of kudos and pleasure from the job. And the problem is that uh, the allegation would be that he has turned a blind eye to allegations of corruption, backhanders, quid pro quos, uh, all the allegations that are swirling around the organization because he owes his position to those people who may be cream skimming. In other words, the power relations in FIFA require that the person at the top indulges those who are cheating on the sport. And you're totally wrong to say that FIFA brings money into football football brings money into football. It's such a wonderful spectacle that people are prepared to watch. Now, FIFA doesn't monetize that. All it does is structure and sell the rights, but it's a damn easy product to sell. Right, but, but, but FIFA then, I mean, they have things like the Gold Project and so on. They, they, they stage, but put it this way, if some other entrepreneurs I could think of, if they were to stage the World Cup privately, they would stage the World Cup and then just divide the TV rights between, um, the, the TV rights money between the, the, cl- the, the countries that participate. FIFA uh, goes and takes the TV monies and say, hey, you know, Montserrat, hey, Papua New Guinea, you know, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell of ever getting to the World Cup, but here's some development money for you so you can push football in, in those countries. Isn't that what, what Blatcher might say? Well, I mean, wonderful. I mean, what a fantastic uh, guy he is. Remember that most, I mean, the Congress works that each FA gets one vote. So making sure that you dispense some of the largesse in a rather more equal way is is not particularly surprising. But, but, you know, either way, you could say that FIFA is undermining its own product because not only is it now looking to be utterly unfit for purpose, which could undermine commercial revenues in, in the long term, uh, but it is unable to discharge the responsibilities that it has. I mean, giving a million dollars willy-nilly, if that's the allegation, um, handing over laptops 
uh, people within FIFA taking kickbacks. That was the allegation from Panorama. That's cream skinning from the value that, that football is generating. Ago, that was, I mean, the, the, the Panorama, one, what were you talking about? That, those allegations were 12, 13 years ago, and they were settled in court. I mean, that's... But the, but the, but the, but the revelations that Jennings made in Panorama were credible. It was all circumstantial evidence. But any institution headed by somebody who had any desire for probity would have launched an independent investigation and opened up the internal documents of FIFA, would have made sure that the executive committee members had to reveal their bank accounts. We've had none of this at FIFA. It is, it is I think, uh, you I'm know, with, it's, it's, you, it, I mean, trying uh, to play devil's advocate uh, here is, is, I think, pretty difficult. Uh, FIFA uh, are not fit for purpose. Matthew, I'm with you. I think transparency is the word here. I mean, if, if they are... That was Mohammed bin Hammam's word, transparency. He sure. campaigned on them. Look, look where it got him. I mean, but, but the problem is we... You're a fan, then. No, 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 but if there's nothing to hide, if Blatter is doing nothing wrong, if there's nothing to hide from everything they're doing, then tell us about it. Well, after that FIFA conversation, the kind of quick-hitting um, I would like to do is the paddling of flabby uh, FIFA exco buttocks, but unfortunately, we can't do that, so we'll have to do our own version. Joy Barton has not been offered a new contract by Newcastle because, reportedly, uh, the club wants somebody younger and cheaper. Paddy, is this a wise decision? Well, it probably is. He's overpaid. Um, I reckon he gets about. The, I think he gets about seventy-five thousand pounds a week, and that's too much uh, for Newcastle. Um, they want to get somebody younger and cheaper. This is probably now. Now is the time. The identity of Chelsea's next manager is still shrouded in mystery. Matthew, you've been critical of Mr. Roman Abramovich in the past. Um, if he hired you as one of his many consultants, say a bit like uh, Goose Hiddink, what kind of stuff would you be telling him? Well, if he asked my advice, I would... Uh, and paid for it. Yeah, well, well, that's an interesting... I, I would probably tell him to advise him to sell Chelsea, uh, to sell some of the yachts that he owns, to hand the money back to the Russian people who were, in my view, totally ripped off by some of the uh, shadiest privatizations of the uh, Boris Yeltsin era. Well, okay, yeah. Matthew, which Matthew, I can tell... Which isn't quite a football answer, but that's what I'll advise him to do. Okay, I can tell you're a rubbish, you'd be a, you really are a rubbish consultant, because the key <laughs> to being a good consultant is to tell the people who hire you exactly what they want to hear, and I'm sure that's not what, they, what, he, what he wants to hear. <laughs> Big Sam Allardyce will reportedly be the next West Ham manager, and this is the real Sam Allardyce, not his Twitter alter ego. Uh, ben, how will he get on with the unholy trinity of... Karen Brady, David Gold, and David Sullivan. Could he really not do any better than the Hammers? Uh, answer that second question first. No, I don't think he could. Um, sacked by Blackburn, sacked by Newcastle. He's been offered work in the Middle East, but, you know, he's on 1.2 million a season here. He'll get a million if they go up. It's, you know, it, it's a decent job. He's not going to be popular with the fans, but, you know, I, I would back him to get them up. Uh, the unholy trinity he can't say he doesn't know what he's getting himself in for he'll be more popular with me than their owners tell you that much me too one member of the Ferguson family had a good weekend at least it's Darren whose Peterborough side won their playoff and promotion to the next level Patty you know your Fergusons can Darren ever emulate dad I think he can do very well at Peterborough I mean he had a terrible he was pretty poor at uh, Preston North End who sacked him but uh, the old Peterborough magic has resumed and I think that's because of the relationship he has with the chairman there Darrow McCantony who's a bright boy uh, young uh, pots of money and uh, I think that uh, they'll uh, I think they'll be a, a force 
in the uh, championship next season. They won't. Uh, I'm not sure they'll go up, but I think they'll survive. A very wise man once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. Matthew, with that in mind, should Wenger start doing something different or should he simply revel in his insanity? Well, he, I think it would be slightly insane to change too much. What he's achieved at Arsenal is fabulous. Terrific football, uh, good results, although he hasn't won trophies, and he's done so without endangering the financial integrity of the club. But I, I think, like, like most fans, I would like to see him uh, spend a bit of money in the summer and see whether or not he can, uh, he can lead them to, to a big trophy next season. Well, you want him to stay? Uh, would I like uh, Wenger to stay at Arsenal? Well, no, just stay in London, hang out in North London, shop at Wayrose. Yes, of course, stay as Arsenal manager. Would I like him to stay? Yes. All right. Wilson Palacios has been linked to a move away from Spurs. Now, Ben, it kind of makes sense since they've got a, a, a half a billion uh, defensive midfielders among them, of course, uh, Sandro, Tom Huddleston, and uh, Jermaine Genus. But they're going to get a lot less than they paid for him for him. Um is this another one of those sort of uh, Jermaine Defoe, Robbie Keane type um, red nap signings that probably didn't really benefit Spurs? No, I'd agree with you. I think uh, I, I don't doubt his quality. I think he can do a great job for someone, but they are going to lose on him big time. Uh, at the time, it looked like decent business, but they probably paid too much. I think Scott Parker coming in this summer is, a, is another likely move. And again, that, that wonder you wonder where Palacios fits in. But I, I think he can do a job for someone. But yeah, I agree with you. Harry, uh, Harry hasn't done great out of that deal. All right, boys and girls, that's all we've got time for this week. Remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, and all the analysis you need to take you through these uh, dreary summer months with no sport whatsoever until Premier League football comes back in August. And, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter. I'm on there, at Mark Carty. And guess what? Ben Smith is on there, too. Ben, what's your Twitter handle? Ben Smith underscore times. How original. Uh, Patty's on there. Ollie Kay's on there. We all try to work hard. James Ducker, one of my personal favorites. And, of course, our boss, Tony Evans. So, uh, please, indulge in that Twitter fest. And uh, we'll be back next week for the final game podcast of the season. Till then, ta-ta. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.